We're in the heart of the retreat. Bit over halfway. Having spent four days, four nights together practicing. I really feel uh, good and with agreement uh, from my fellow teachers here about the uh, dedication, the hard work, the willingness to bear with the ups and the downs. Deepening our capacity for pleasure for learning to enjoy something that we can very easily skip over too quickly. Enjoy the ordinary, an in-breath, an out-breath, a moment of waiting and enjoying balance, connectedness. Deepening that reservoir so that we Don't just get so excited with the pleasures, but to learn to relax and little by little soak in them. Similarly, equally, you know, learning to bear with, deepen our capacity to be with uh, the not so easy, the restless, the sleepy, the heavy, the resistant, excited. So though it might not be apparent, there's a, I have the sense there's been a lot of good work and encouraging us to now uh, really take full advantage of that work that we've done, learning to be more here, as we make this uh, significant shift of emphasis f- from the primary work of stabilizing steadying, which required some insight, required some tuning of our effort, required some wisdom, yes. But still we've been working a lot on not getting too involved in worrying about any issues, but making much of learning to be with this moment, learning to be with the simplicity of this step, this breath, this touch, this pain. Now giving ourselves permission with that stability, with that power, whatever we've got, to, to inquire what is the nature of this experience. The 
though it's 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 skillful to get calm, very very skillful. It's not the end of the story, and uh, I used to get depressed after every single retreat, everyone, because I was fairly good at getting calm, a measure of calm. No big spectaculars, but a measure of that refined, smooth. And part of me would go, yes! Uh, And then even occasionally, before I had any teachers, uh, when I was just kind of meditating on my own, if a light would appear, then I would think, enlightenment, light, there it is. And then calm is, is skillful, but invariably. The retreat, the controlled situations, at the end of the retreat, someone would raise their eyebrow in a certain way. I would say something, and then it would feel a little tinny, and there wouldn't be the response that I was hoping. And pretty soon, I was in a, in a tangle, needing that good lawyer to bail me out of trouble. And uh, I didn't really have any understanding of insight. And the, the calm was skillful. I don't want to make fun of it. It was, it was, it's still skillful to learn to relax and enjoy simplicity. Just as the image uh, I used from time to time when I was growing up on Lake Chickamauga on a summer evening, when, when it calmed down, the lake was smooth, like glass. You could hear someone, it seemed, whispering on the other side of the lake. Just so peaceful. Deliciously peaceful. Motorboats. Who's coming into my peace? Not just one, two, five... And then they disturb it, and then the waves disturb the glass. But that's the way nature is. That tranquility, though it's skillful, its nature is vulnerable. If we don't really understand that, then we keep getting wanting to be refined, wanting to be refined, wanting, resenting intrusion, resenting disturbance. We would then have to get a separate... You know, we could put in the suggestion box separate sensory deprivation chambers for each yogi. (laughs) And then the yogi support would get a new job for Alexis and Alice. You know, they would go around adjusting. We'd move your little finger for the temperature a little higher, (laughs) down for a little lower. And there'd be an emergency itch button that would fly. (laughs) Well, you know, even in that, that calm, I guarantee something would be bugging us. And it would shift, and you'd have to go to a toilet, and there's nothing they could do about that. I don't know. <laughs> it, you know. It's nature's conditioned. Yet if we don't really understand that, then we just keep squeezing refinement, wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. And this is fairly controversial, but when Ajahn Chah was asked once, how much samadhi do you need? 
you know, I mean, is it going to say first jhana, first and second jhana, first, second, third, and fourth jhana? Najin Chah said, well, if you have enough samadhi to read a book, you have enough to get enlightened. <laughs> and I don't want to argue the, the merits of, of that, but I mean, he's talking about this, this obsession with more, with more, with more, even with our skillful spiritual practices. And it is skillful. And for the rest of our life, yes, we can keep cultivating some calm. But in tandem... And they're very close together, that image that Tanisra repeated that was from the Buddha. Samatha, calming, vipassana, insight, work together like the two oxen pulling the plow or pulling the, the cart. With whatever measure of composure we have, we then can look into the nature of conditions. And the first powerful suggestion that the, that, that the Buddha made was to reflect on the characteristics, reflect on the nature. It's just a slight adjustment from steadying ourselves with the sensation of breathing, steadying the heart on the the steps of walking, steadying the heart on the moment. While one's doing that, one just shifts the emphasis just ever so slightly. As we breathe in, the Buddha taught, we can bring, allow into consciousness the nature of the condition what he called reflecting on the ah-nicca. Nicca means permanent. Ah is a prefix which means it's not that. We're not trying to convince ourselves of anything, but it's letting go of a bias. There's a bias of solidity and certainty that language tends to impart through perception, through nouns, through the way we talk about this and that and here and there and mine and yours and breath. Sounds like a thing. Ah, Nietzsche means it's not that. It's not Nietzsche. It's not permanent. As one's breathing in, as one's right in contact with, so it's, it's not a big leap. Oh, now we're doing insight. Uh, let me get my notepad out and write an essay. It's, it's looking into, peering into, listening into the nature. And the most important reflection uh, that, is the, that leads to all the profound insights of not-self, of emptiness, of non-duality, all come out of the deep, Reflection on anicca, on impermanence. Now you think, oh God. We know that one, Kitty Sorrow. Can't you just move on to the the, the (laughs) emptiness? Our our, our first meditation 
I'm on a diversion, but our first meditation instruction in Johannesburg 18 years ago, I was talking, then a guy walked in with a gun on his side, sat down. And, you know, that was a little bit disconcerting. <laughs> Not to use to people packing a weapon in the meditation class. Okay, and then he was really upset that I hadn't talked enough about emptiness. And you think, you know, come on, Kitty Sorrow, and you know, because we we all know. Okay, was the day permanent? No. Was 2012 permanent? No. Is the weather permanent? No. It's so obvious. Conceptually, yes, it's obvious. We would all make hundreds on the scores. But vipassana is not taking a multiple choice test and knowing something intellectually, as we're with the so-called breath, right as we're doing our practice, this is in the foundations of mindfulness, when the Buddha is talking about perfecting this mindfulness of dharma, of the nature of things, still right there with the breath. You don't have to go off to some lofty, deep, emptiness tome to go into insight, one can just be with the breath and stay in touch with living here and now contact with becoming otherwise, becoming otherwise, becoming otherwise, how the sensations shifting. This so-called breath sounds like a thing. Vibrating, swelling, subsiding, pausing, sustaining that as we breathe in the perception, recognition, impermanence. Sustaining recognition of not permanent as we breathe out. It's not a question of going around convincing ourselves not permanent, not permanent, not permanent. But to stay with it. Stay with it and start to get a feeling for this word, this label, this capacity to, this concept that's pointing to the breath. It's just that, a pointer. It's, it's, it's just that. But when one is with the living reality of this vibrating, resonating, mingling with different parts of the body, swelling and subsiding. Breath doesn't capture it. In-breath, out-breath sounds like two really separate things, but you can't find absolute, absolute divisions, vibrating, shifting, changing. When one deeply starts to recognize this changing nature, and then as one sees the nature of this so-called thing, which comes and goes, it comes and goes, it arises and ceases. And the Buddha is encouraging us to, to look at form, not just this form, which is shifting, 
the other forms, the and yes, we can do it by memory that it was day and now it's night, but we can even write now, looking. It's the form shifting. It's the light shimmering. People moving, breathing. Forms of the sounds changing, wind blowing. Same with the feeling nature. Go to a feeling. Yet when I was getting depressed, what would would happen? Because I would take a soothing, pleasant feeling and some part of me would go, yes. And it's not evil to go, yes, this is it. But that my tranquility, my attainment, my state, me. There's what's called leaning on that condition. What's called upadana, or standing on it, climbing on it, leaning on it, which leads to bhava, birth. When, when we make an assumption about a condition, a circumstance, and, and identify with that, it's like leaning on it. It's birth. Assuming it's reliable. Then if we've leaned on something and it changes, if we have our cushions all stacked up and this is going to be the chair of enlightenment. (laughs) Yes. It was day five, early in the morning. Yes, Kitty Shaw, it was a battle, but broke through. That fifth cushion really did it. And it's all stable. And we sit down on that thing and then it starts to go and we fall down. We've got to check out what we sit on. Will it support us? You know, will it support us? I had a friend, a really big friend, and he had a, a condition. He, um, but he wouldn't just sit on any chair. He would have to check the chair out. Will this chair hold me? It wasn't, wasn't funny because he could hurt himself. So when he would sit, he would have to only give half his weight first to just check. Check. But we lean on conditions all the time without really checking how supportive they really are. There's this assumption of solidity when there's my health my energy. When we lean on that, then when the energy shifts and changes, what is that dislocation? That's called death. That's called aging and death. And then the seeking of security. Usually it goes to another pleasing state, a pleasant state. Then when it shifts and changes, that's where samsara comes from. When there's not really understanding the nature of conditions, we then identify with lean on, look for support from. Success, pleasure, 
praise, nothing evil about that. But it keeps leading, leading to falling, collapsing, getting distressed. What happens then when we really start to something first very simple like the breathing, being with something's ever shifting and changing, ever shifting and changing, becoming otherwise every instant. Then the Buddha said that leads us to naturally understand what dukkha is. It's sometimes just translated as suffering, but it means du apart from ka could be related to the root akash, which is the perfect, the spacious, the undivided. It's apart from that. It's not perfect. Not able to satisfy us. Not, another definition is reliable. It's not a, a criticism. But if a condition, a circumstance, like a feeling, a form, whether it's our body or another form, another being, a feeling, a mood, a circumstance, a moment. If it's nature, just being what it is perfectly, if it's nature is to become otherwise in the next instant, and yet we're grasping at that to satisfy us, to really offer security, to really offer stability, then we're asking from conditions what conditions can't give us. We're not honoring life. We're squeezing it, choking it, and then frustrated, find needing someone to blame, blaming somebody up there or out there, blaming ourselves. Buddha said when there's a deep recognition of changeability and then when we really start to notice not just with the breathing, with feeling, with moods, with thoughts and perceptions, very important, thoughts, concepts, perceptions, sifting, changing. We start to then to see the cascade Like right now, the Kitty Sorrows, uh, fourth evening, Wednesday night Dharma talk. You know, it's, well, it's a good talk, or he seems a bit tired. I think he's really stretching it there. (laughs) You know, it's not really such a good talk. Or however it is, if we look closely, this so-called thing, this talk, it's like a massive Swiss cheese. Believe me, there's lots of holes in it. <laughs> Hopefully you can eat it, get some nourishment. Lots of holes, gaps, mixed in with the experience of seeing in the room, eyes blinking, form shifting, mixed in with the sensations of your body. working with the comfort, the discomfort, the thoughts. So the actuality of this, of the Wednesday night Dharma talk, is it a thing? 
more like a waterfall of shifting, changing currents. When we actually walk up to a waterfall, it might be on our property in the mountains in South Africa, there's some up the mountain there. Sometimes when it really rains, there's an impressive waterfall. We've got a waterfall. <laughs> when you go up to it, who does it belong to? Can you grab it? Try grabbing one. One can be in awe of it. But when there's the real experience of seeing the currents shifting, changing, ephemeral, then dukkha is not reliable, becomes obvious. And, and there's then a what's called viraga, a, a fading, a dispassion. We realize we've been looking in the wrong place. We realize anatta, it's, we might call it a me, a mine, an it, but we realize, whoa, that's just a way of talking. We call it my health, but that's just a way of talking. Does it really belong to us? Did my body ask permission from me before it got typhoid? Uh, excuse me, Kitty, so I you mind. You're not going to be able to do anything pretty much for the next 10 years. <laughs> Three years just lying down. Just did it. When I had my championship wrestler's body and could do 500 push-ups a day, walk on my hands, for a hundred yards or more, climb ropes. Today, I don't even think I could do one. A few weeks ago, I was pleased I'd gotten back up to to nine push-ups. My strength's coming back a little bit, but now my shoulder's a bit hurt. But this doesn't belong to us. We can take care of it the best we can. But when one really starts to see shifting, changing, we start to realize, wow, these feelings, these forms, these thoughts are part of nature. We call them me and mine. When we don't really understand that, when we assume a solidity, there's a leaning on and then there's a birth. And that birth leads to distress, to the suffering of loss of stability. When there's that recognition of change, seeing unreliability, seeing we've been demanding of life what it can't give us, when there's then that giving back, letting go, offering back to nature what belongs to nature. There's that relief. And most unexpectedly, opportunity to wake up to a treasure that's been here all along that we don't see when we're so externally focused on capturing. The Buddha taught this heart is radiant. It is He taught that this nibbana, this deathless, unmoving, 
undying, peaceful, is always sandittiko. It's always here and now. We chant it every day. It's a kaliko. It's timeless. It's not just when you really deserve it. It's not just when Jupiter's at the midheaven. It's not just when your samadhi's at the best. That the essence of every single condition is always here and now, luminous, calm, peaceful. It's ahi pasika, we chant it every morning. It's ahi means inviting, it's inviting us to see. The Buddha said, we don't see, we don't recognize this essential, free, boundless nature when we get confused by what moves through the heart. What's moving through the heart? It's right now the Wednesday night Dhamma talk. And when something's moving through the heart and there's a tendency for conception, perception, thought, to take some of it, assume it's solid, and then hold on to it. I've got it. It's me. It's my. This feeling. This is who I am. Then that changes and one scrambles for the next abiding. But if there is using our insight, steadied by a mind that's composed, we see that actually every sound, every thought, every feeling is uncapturable. We can't capture it. We can be in awe of it. We can appreciate it can allow these different experiences to come and go, come and go, letting be, letting be. There can be the experience of recognizing and resting in the ground of awareness itself. First night I quoted the Buddha, Vimutti Sarasabhita All conditions have at their core freedom. The line before that is panyuttara sabedama. What reveals that spaciousness is our wisdom. Wisdom which is just able to look into this nature. And when we see sounds and thoughts coming and going, realizing they're ungraspable, letting them be as they are, and in letting go, not continually being disappointed by trying to look for certainty in that which is not certain, letting go, then through not creating anything, resting in the truth, Panyuttarasabhidhamma, wisdom overcomes all conditions. Vimuttisarasabhidhamma, yielding spacious deliverance at their core. The next line, Amatokadasabhidhamma, all things merge, every so called separate thing comes together in the deathless.
Amatogadasabhidama, all things merge. What's he talking about? All things merge. There's you and there and these people and those people and young and old and good and bad. All things merge. When we only look at the surface through the prism of our thoughts, we just see this one and that one. Me and you, here and there. It's like going out and looking at the different trees. We can name them, the evergreen trees, the ones that have lost their leaves. Our favorite trees, the one we don't like, the birch trees, the beech trees, the oak trees, the pine trees. Where do they all merge? If we look more deeply, we realize the trees are rooted, they're grounded. And when you really go into treeness, go down into the roots, the source, and it's not an oak and a pine and a birch and a beech. All the trees merge. We look more deeply. In our vipassana, Tanisha mentioned the phrase yoni so manikshikara. Taking conditions, letting them be placed in the womb. It could also be translated as radical reflection. Return to the root. Each sound, each thought, The surface is when it manifests, but where does each sound, where's the root, the source, the ground of each sound as it dissolves back into the listening, the silence. Outwardly, we see all this separation. What's he talking about? There's there's big rooms, small rooms, tall ones, short ones. It's all out there. Where's the ground? All this separations vibrating, arising, ceasing in this ground of awareness, ground of listening. When we start to notice change, not just as an intellectual checkpoint on a multiple choice test, but start to stay with the changing nature of a sound coming and going. We'll realize that sound, that phenomenon is appearing in awareness and then dissolving. To do this with our thoughts is so important because our thoughts perpetuate the atomization, the concretization, the separation, the seemingly separate bits and pieces of me and you and good and bad. And it's useful to have language to talk and to discern. But when we, aren't, when we don't place our thoughts and our thinking and our experience in that, when we don't link it, radical reflection to that womb, to that ground of listening, of awareness, then we don't see where all the experiences, all the separation keeps dissolving back into that place where everything is not a thing anymore. 
will be practicing having a simple thought. It's night. It's night. Notice the thought there. Notice the ending of it. The gap. Minding the gap, as our teacher used to say. Being interested in the place between the thoughts. The silence around the thoughts. Being interested in that place where all the separations merge. The earth is just an analogy. The, the, the heart, the Buddha compared it to the sky. That's also the ground of awareness is sky-like. A famous uh, Mahayana teaching of the Buddhas from the Vajra Sutra is all experience, all conditioned dharmas are like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, like dewdrops in a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus. Lightning flash. All of these are pointing to this ephemeral nature of our experience, what we take to be me. We live, have lived in the Drakensberg Mountains for 18 years. And uh, in the summertime, when the weather's not too messed up, the first five years in the summer, it was like every afternoon in the summer, an incredible lightning storm. Then there was a few years where it's, it's been a bit strange. Who knows if it's uh, climate change, but that's a whole other topic. Thunder's coming back a little more this year. But the thunder and lightning, incredible storms in that part of the world. When the lightning flashes, especially when the storm is moving into the evening, incredible thrill. And it has a purple tint that I never noticed until I was in, got to Africa. But have you ever tried catching lightning bolts? It's thrilling, but just as soon as, can't you just stay a little longer? And it's gone. And then I'm going to catch the next one. Be intuitive, kitty. Be intuitive. <laughs> can't grab it. And yet we're, we're catch, trying to catch lightning bolts and wondering, don't worry, I'll get the next one. All conditioned dharmas are like lightning bolts. You can't catch them. You can appreciate them. Where do all lightning bolts merge? You look in a slightly different way. Just as we are with the vipassana, we're allowing ourselves to notice also context. Not be so riveted on the thing. Be more the context. Widen our vision. The lightning bolt flashes and dissolves back into the immensity of the sky the dark, boundless, and yet luminous sky. When one looks in that way, the flashes come and go and they keep merging in that place where all the things merge. 
Is the sky coming and going? Is the sky upset by the rumbling thunder and the flashes of the lightning? The sky is unmoved, untroubled, and yet within it, all this manifestation happens. Famous teaching of the Buddha, I love to remember. Akase padang nati samano nati bahi re papanja biratapaja ni papanja tatagata. There are no footprints in the sky. Akase padang nati. Samano nati bahi re. You won't find the sage out there. Samanonati Bahire, the Samana, the great wise one. You don't find him Bahire outside, out there. Papanchabiratapaja. Worldly people, people who don't contemplate, delight in papancha, complexity, conceptualization. Conceptualization is wonderful, it's powerful, but if that's our delight, then we believe all the categories this and that and me and you and mine and his. Papancha biratapaja. Papancha means when our concepts are tinged with delusion. Meaning they've not been linked to this ground of present awareness. When we're thinking and that thinking is permeated with awareness that thought comes and goes. Then the thinking is a tool that's directing attention. When thinking is not accompanied by that, then we start believing in the categories. And so a thought comes by, I'm a hopeless case, I become a hopeless case. Then a thought comes by, I'm the avatar of the age, I'm the avatar of the age. We get so hijacked by our thoughts. Then it becomes papancha, it becomes not a nuclear, it's kind of nuclear, a conceptual proliferation. Because you get an, an I that's not been investigated, and then suddenly there's got to be a you, a here, a there, a this. As soon as you have a this, because it changes, you've got to bring time in there. And suddenly we've got all this complexity in trying to locate ourselves in there. That's papancha. Papancha birata papancha. Worldly people delight in that. Nipapancha tathagata. The Buddha delights in the ending of that. The Buddha spoke. He taught a lot. But he didn't have this proliferation because each thought, he recognized its limitation, its empty, changing nature. He knew the... Thoughts couldn't capture life. When we don't know that, we get tyrannized by our thoughts. We get devastated to the point we want to take our life or somebody else's life. For example, a bubble's there and you say, it is. Pop. 
and someone else says, look at that dodo. It isn't. It's empty. It doesn't exist. It appears. It is. There it is. What are you talking about? Isn't. Pop. Isn't. Is. Isn't. Is. Isn't. Is. Isn't. Can't capture it. Therefore, the Buddha said, this dharma, this nature, this mystery cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. We use words, but when we want to find the ones that are me, that tell me who I am, I'm wonderful. Oh, thank goodness. I'm dreadful. Oh, my God. The big first real breakthrough in my practice, which was you know, an important beginning, was when I started practicing this listening to the changing nature of thoughts. And I let all the parade of them come, all the views, the ones I'm scared of, the ones I love. Kitty Sorrow, you are really wonderful. Ooh, yeah. Hearing it end. You're terrible. You're this. You're that. Listening to the thoughts bubble. Recognizing that ground like the lightning flashes, that immovable sky that's always there. Noticing that the conditions are moving through this matrix, this context, this ground. These are just words. But when we don't know that, then we start fighting about the names. It's God. How come you're not talking about God, Kitty Sorrel? Come on. It's godless. The way you talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. Forget God. It's the higher self. It's the higher self. No, 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 no. It's the kingdom. No, 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 no. It's the... <sighs> the name that can be named is not the eternal name. When we realize that, we use words, but we, they're pointers. There are no footprints in the sky because ultimately it's groundless. The footprints is who we think we are. I'm this, I'm that. That's who we think we are with our footprint, our characteristics. I'm good, I'm bad, I'm hopeless. When we bless that footprint, who we think we are with the pasna, looking into, starting with a simple breath, seeing that shifting, changing nature, we realize what seemed to be a thing is dukkha. It's not reliable. Anatta, it's not, it's like a bubble, like a lightning flash. And then in that relinquishment, giving back to nature, moments again then of noticing this ever-present, it's always been near. What the Buddha called in the Sharangama Sutra, the original brightness. Whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. But can we get to know it? As the Buddha said, the important thing is not what you call it. He said, you can call it the cool, the beautiful, the timeless, the deathless. Whatever you call it, what's more important 
is to taste, practice tasting, the work of insight. Samatha practice steadies the heart. Insight notices the nature of change, realizes things are ungraspable, and the work of Vipassana lets be, lets go. The last stanza of that one about the sky is repeated again. Akase padang nati, there are no footprints in the sky. Samano nati bahire, you won't find the sage out there. Sankara sasatanati, sankara. Compounded things, circumstances, things. There are no eternal things. This last line, I love this last line. Nati Buddha nang inji tang. Nati starts out with this big no. Nati, no Buddhas. Where's he he going with this last line? Nati Buddha nang inji tang. Buddhas never waver. Sankara sasata nati nati puttanang injitang. Buddhas never waver. When there's the recognition of things not changing and there's just letting be and relinquishing, then one is resting in the unshakable, resting in our nature. And that's right here in our own heart. We won't find the sage out there. Even the people that got really attached to the Buddha, one supposedly just loved gazing at the Buddha evidently with all his good karma. He had nice skin. (laughs) Curly hair that was real nice. Uh, Beautiful smile, I'm told. Beautiful voice. composed, didn't get flustered. So this disciple just was really drinking it in. Wow, the Buddha. I'm with the Buddha, which must have been wonderful. Wish I could have been there with the Buddha. Then the Buddha's thinking, this guy's not quite getting it. (laughs) So he sent the guy out to a branch monastery. And then supposedly he's just thinking, I've been sent away by the Buddha, sent away by the Buddha. And then the Buddha, with his deep penetrating insight, saw and then appeared to the guy and said something like, well, what's the problem? And he said, what's the problem? You get sent away by the Buddha, that's a problem. (laughs) Or something like that. And the Buddha points to his body and said, you think this is the Buddha? His body, his body goes back to the elements, goes back to the ground. He told this disciple, when you see the Dharma, when you see the way of things, with the simplicity of a breath, that whatever comes, goes. When you see the Dharma, you'll see the Buddha, the real Buddha, the timeless Buddha. And that's not out there. That's in the core of our being where all things merge. 
And let's don't underestimate this, what seems so obvious. Even one moment, the Buddha taught of really being with change. Not just intellectually, but one moment, for example, of hearing how this talk, how the sounds vibrating and dissolving back into that changeless ground. Just a moment of noticing that change, the Buddha said, has inestimable, what he called punya, auspicious energy in it, because it starts to form hairline fractures in this concretization, this solidification of things and imagining what we can keep hold of. As that little by little moments of change make us realize, wow, there's nothing to really grasp, that then leads to this returning home, to this holding more lightly, to this letting go, to looking into the heart of the matter. So if just a moment of that's powerful, let's use this precious time, now that we've built up some power, to really deepen that and be with, in the simplicity of breathing in and out, learning to notice change and relax with it and get the feeling for resting in that place, like all those lightning flashes, dissolving back into this immovable sky, resting into this ground of listening, this sky-like source, this home territory of our own heart. All beings come together in this ground. Most profoundly, we're not apart from anything in this whole cosmos. Therefore, we can, at the end of of this practice, share with our family, with our brothers and sisters in birth and death, with all beings, all forms, Mother Earth, the cosmos, which all arises and dissolves back into this heart. May the virtue, the beauty, the power, the patience, the blessings of this day, of all our practice, may we share it for the welfare of all beings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.